Have you ever walked past the dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash. All right, you're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we're coming at you in 2020 vision. 3D. You're going to hear that all year long. <laughs> or people making fun of Barbara Walters and saying, this is 2020. That's a thing. I hope I don't hear that. <laughs> I've already Ugh. heard it a bunch of times. All right, so we have a little disclaimer about this episode. Um, last week was pretty intense. David Josiah Lawson really hit a, you know, a note with me that I needed to take a break from because it's just a real serious, unsolved-ish, you know, mishandling of justice that just irks me. This is something I've been wanting to do for a little while. And so rather than later, we're going to do it sooner, like now. <laughs> uh, plus, we're going to get a little intense over the next couple of weeks with a new topic that will either be a two or three parter. Yeah. So we'll get some lighthearted stuff. Well, sort of lighthearted. Lightish hearted. Yeah. Also, we have a lot of stuff coming up too. Kevin will be leaving for tour with Incantation. Yep, going down to Mexico. For a couple of weeks. So we're going to pre-record a couple of episodes and hopefully do some of the sound engineering or whatever you call it. I'll You'll be have doing, to. Yeah, I'll be doing some of the editing. Trial by fire. <laughs> You'll, I'll be doing some of the editing while you're gone. Um, we're now on Spotify and we'll be... The next thing I'm working on besides the website and, you know, adding a bio and all that stuff is getting a Patreon up so that people can get like a bonus episode and like a sticker that hopefully I'll be making in the next like month or so. So that's another goal of mine. Uh, one thing I didn't get to do last week, which I wanted to do, was to give listeners a best of 2019. And so I've been kind of thinking about the year in review and uh, the big cases that kind of made 2019. And so these were some of them, not all of them, and in no particular order, but sort of. The first one, can you guess what it is? I'm going to have to say Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah. So Jeffrey Epstein, everything surrounding Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein was probably kind of the biggest true crime news of the year. Man, I saw the pic. What was what was his lady friend's name? Jizz Guzzler Maxlene or something <laughs> no. like that. 
Man, the picture of her at In-N-Out, that's all I remember. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. Made me want to eat In-N-Out. <laughs> that's weird. So I like have this weird connection between like Jizz and No In-N-Out. Jeffrey Epstein. You know, I In-N-Out. think, you know, cause and effect. I don't know. Um, so yeah, he was definitely the biggest news story of twenty nineteen. Um, in terms of like true Absolutely. Crime. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. The second one I was thinking of was really the Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin college admissions scandal. Yeah, that was big. That was really, really huge. And I'm not saying I necessarily know all the outcomes of all the cases that I'm doing, but I know that Felicity Huffman did plead guilty. I think Lori Laughlin might still be an ongoing thing. But honestly, I don't know if I really want to follow that case much anymore because they're like the worst people in the world. So I, it's just hard for me to care yeah, that whole thing what, is... I hope they all end up in jail forever. So. They sh- well, they should be. They probably won't. Well, I mean, not forever. Yeah. There's worse things going yeah. on. <laughs> um, and we're not going to get too political with this either. This is a very incomplete list. Um, the next huge one that, like, every podcast I listened to, like, basically mentioned was the Natalia Barnett case. Uh, whether this girl was an eight-year-old girl or, like, a 30-year-old woman with dwarfism that was, like, a secret Russian spy that was trying to kill her family. That one's fucking crazy. That is really weird. It's basically the basis of the... Was it called The Orphan, the true crime... Or the the horror movie that came out? I think it was either called The Orphan or The Orphanage or something. Anyways, um, it just sounded like it was a horror movie. And I think that the last I read was that she was adopted by another family... But she probably is a lot older than she says she was. She's cool with them, though. She didn't try to kill them. Yeah, it's very weird because the family that initially adopted her was actually this, like, quote-unquote, kind of, like, award-winning family, you know? (laughs) Award-winning family. Well, because the son that they had was super autistic, and doctors said that, like, he would (laughs) never be able to, like, live, like, a normal life, basically, and he ended up being this total genius. And the reason they moved away from her was not just to purely get away from her, but... He got accepted into genius school in Canada or whatever. Is that what they call it in Canada? (laughs) He got accepted to like some super prestigious program in Canada. And so that's when they like paid up a year's in advance rent for Natalia in like an apartment complex and gave her like a shit ton of food. And they're like, see ya. And then they moved off to Canada and then, you know. Six to eight months later, they were arrested for child endangerment or child abandonment. And then, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but that was a very, very big case if you want to look into it further. I think it's still ongoing. What's next? Another really big one happened somewhat recently. It was the Heidi Brassard case. The woman who was pregnant um, gave birth. And then about like a week or two after she gave birth, she went missing and her body, her dead body, unfortunately, was found in her best friend's trunk. And her best friend had basically taken the baby to raise as her own because either she couldn't get pregnant or something. Um, she had she had faked like a pregnancy and was just like, da da da, here's my baby. So that was a really crazy case and it's still ongoing. That's not disturbing at all. Yeah. <laughs> Another couple notable things that happened in 2019 were both of the kind of documentary series and documentary um, Surviving R. Kelly and Leaving Neverland came out. And both of those cases, R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, were very much back in the limelight over the past you know year and still continue to be, I'm sure. But that was a big thing that happened in 2019. Um, another huge one was Jamie Kloss. 
who was abducted by Jake Patterson, and he killed James and Denise Kloss in their rural home. That actually happened in October of 2018, but he wasn't found until, or she wasn't found until the beginning of January 2019. And that was really, really intense. And uh, he had his day in court or week in court, however long it was. And I believe he pleaded guilty. No, I don't know what he did. But anyways, he is serving a life sentence, if not a couple, with no chance of parole. And he's a monster. He was uh, holding her underneath his bed. Wow. For like three months. And the parents didn't know. I think he lived with his parents. No, no, no. It his his parents cabin in the woods and she was able to get away (laughs) luckily because yeah she was able to get away because he did that gradual release thing and she made him trust her i mean she was only like 13 years old she was like real savvy and was able to get out of there so good on you yeah yeah well done and now she lives with her aunt i believe her i hope she has a lot of big scary dogs yeah i would never yeah i don't know i would not be able to come out from that as well as i think she has also, another big news story was um, UFC fighter Walt Harris's stepdaughter, Anaya Haley Blanchard. She disappeared in October of this year in Alabama, and her body was found weeks later. There's been a couple people arrested in her abduction and murder, and I don't think the trial has happened yet, but that was big news for a while. There's and- another UFC one where uh, Conor McGregor actually is being accused of some pretty gnarly stuff. Oh, yeah? I don't know too much about it, but yeah. That happened in 2018, though? Yeah. It's ongoing. Yeah. A lot of these are still. Some of them are solved or court hearings have happened. Another one I didn't actually know about, but it actually did happen really close to here. And I I know that at least one of the people somewhat involved was, I don't know if I'm going to say his name right, but Ron Ely. Ely? E-L-Y? He was Tarzan in the Tarzan movies. Oh, that's all you had to say. Yeah. Well, I I think it's Ely. Fucking Um, Tarzan. (laughs) His wife, real life wife, not, you know, Jane. Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we shouldn't laugh. She was stabbed to death in their Santa Barbara home. Not Jane. No, his real life wife, Valerie. Oh. She was stabbed to death in their Santa Barbara home by their son, Cameron Ely. Oh, damn. uh, In October of this year, or 2019. And the police shot him 24 times before realizing that he was unarmed. So. Only 24 times? Yeah. So. Sounds about right. How big, I guess there's multiple cops shooting, but. Yeah, and it's it sounds like he was, he wasn't being cooperative and he wasn't putting his hands up and they thought he had a gun, but that's kind of the It's kind of like the suicide by cop thing, eh? Yeah, I think that's what he was trying to do. And right. I, and I read somewhere, because I had only heard about it just when I was doing my like research for 2019 crimes in general, was I think he was trying to frame his father as well. <laughs> so, um. They were able to say for sure, yep, that Tarzan didn't do it. Hey, great job. And then another one that happened that I heard a lot about, and then I haven't heard much on it since, is on um, November 4th, 70 miles south of the Mexico border, so in northern Mexico, gunmen opened fire on a three-car convoy en route to a wedding carrying residents of a isolated Lamora community, which was predominantly composed of American-Mexican quote-unquote independent Mormons. So, yeah, they were in these, like, black SUVs. A lot of people thought that the drug cart, the Mexican drug cartels were targeting, like, these black SUVs because the Mexican drug cartels, like, use black SUVs. The people, like, were out of the car when they were, like, found, and it was, it was, like, all women and children. 
And I think like nine people. Maybe died. they confuse them with the Amish mafia. No, I think that the remember Mexi- that show. No, there's a show that was on one of these streaming like Netflix kind of deals. It's the Amish mafia where they're all badass. I've like, not heard of that. Anyways, one honorable mention is that the Bear Brook um, identities of the the women in the barrels. And if you haven't listened oh. to Bear Brook, it is one of the best single story podcasts ever made other than cold. I would say that those are potentially my top two. Bear Brook is amazing. But because of that podcast and because of genealogy and DNA and all that stuff, they were able to, after over 40 years... Terry Rasmussen's victims who were in these barrels were finally identified. And the mother was um, Marlise Elizabeth Honeychurch and her daughters, Marie Elizabeth Vaughn and Sarah Lynn McWaters. So they were given identities, which was like a really big deal. And that happened in like June of this year or this last year. So that was like kind of my favorite true crime story of the year. Okay, um, podcasts I really enjoyed, ones that specifically came out in 2019. There's one called Conviction, and I believe that did come out in 2019. It's unlike a lot of the other ones I've ever done, and it's an investigative journalist, a New York Times reporter, Saki Nafo, I believe. He follows this real kooky detective named Manuel Gomez, and kooky might be, it's, you got to listen to it to kind of formulate your own opinions on him. I think he goes by Manny. Uh, another really amazing one that came out, which is real, real hard to listen to, is The Root of Evil. And it's the doctor who they believe killed the Black Dahlia and all of that stuff. Elizabeth Short. And it's the family telling the story. It's really, really, really intense. If you can't handle familial abuse or rape or anything like that, is definitely not for you. Another one that came out in 2019, I believe, is The Murder Squad, which I talk about a lot. It's Billy Jensen and Paul Holes's true crime investigative podcast. We're, you know, crowdfunding podcast on the Exactly Right Network, which is my favorite murders network. It's amazing. It's awesome. Love it. And then another, like, huge thing for me was In the Dark, the Curtis Flowers season, which I believe is season two or three. And he was actually... That case actually went to the Supreme Court and he has been released on bail. And that's after serving well over two decades in prison for a quadruple murder. And so that's super exciting. It's the the update that I, I listened to it, I think, on Christmas Day. I like wait. I like waited a couple weeks to listen to the update because it was just so I knew I was going to cry. So that's why I waited. It was my Christmas present to myself. Um, I also really liked Broken Hearts, um, the story of the Hart family. Again, trigger warning with that one is lots of, it's very hard to listen to. It's about the Hart family who drove the the black foster children off the cliff in Northern California. Oof, it's very rough. I haven't, I'm not familiar with that story. Uh, we'll cover it for sure. It's, it's, it's really fucking intense. But two women from Vogue actually did it and it's, it's, it's like, like sometimes, Thelma and Louise, like with the dark side. Uh, God, it's it's real bad. It's okay. really, really well, bad. I have a lot to learn. Okay. I think Happy Face came out this year. It may have come out in 2018, but that is Keith Jesperson, the Happy Face Killer. It's his daughter did a podcast, and it's amazing. And then Red Ball. Wait, what? I have too much. What? <laughs> Books? Yeah, I got books. I like to read. Okay, sorry. Real quick. Red Ball was really good. I already talked about that one. And then other... 
podcast that I really like that didn't come out in 2019, but I started listening to in 2019 is Southern Fried True Crime, Morbid, and Murder in the Rain. So those were my three last ones. That, yeah, those, those are, are all really good. Are you trying to ever hurry me along? No, I oh, like all Oh, those. okay, okay, okay. And then real quick, I promise, is that books that came out in 2018 that I really loved are Chase Darkness With Me, Evil Has a Name, and Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered. Those all three are very related to one another. One is Billy Jensen's, one is Paul Holes's, and one is Georgia Hardstark and Karen Kilgariff's joint memoir. So anyways, those three came out in 2019, and they're all excellent. Other books I read in 2019 that I really enjoyed, and again, I can post this on our Facebook page in case people are interested. I read True Story, Murder, Memoir, and Mia Culpa by Michael Finkel, and that's about Christian Longo, the family annihilator. And then I also read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which was written by Michelle McNamara. I also read the book about the Donner Party called The Indifferent Stars Above by Daniel James Brown. I really enjoyed that one. That was a good one. And then I also read Life After Death by Damien Eccles. I liked most of it. The parts that get a little like too metaphysical for me were a little hard to digest, but they're few and far between. You probably would like those parts. I, I, those are the parts I, I did like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I read um, Hope by Amanda Berry and Gina Jesus. I read A Stolen Life, which was a memoir by J.C. Lee Dugard. And both of those books were survivors of kidnappings. One was Ariel Castro and the other one was a crazy dude. I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, Philip Gerardo. Ger- Gerardo. And then I also read Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer, which I never thought I would read John Krakauer because I thought I didn't like him, but I do. There are a couple of things I read this year that I didn't like. One is A Serial Killer's Daughter, which is by Carrie Rawson, and she is BTK's daughter, and I did not like it. You, okay. you, you heard, I was listening to the audiobook. You heard parts of it. Yeah. It's very religious. It's very, it's, it's basically, it feels like a therapy session and like a confession to like a priest. Like I, I, it's, it, it made me a little uncomfortable. I, I, it wasn't what I wanted it to be, but that's okay. I still read it and we will do BTK one of these days and I will definitely use that as source material. She totally got fucked over though. I mean, being BTK's daughter, not the funnest thing in the world. Yeah, thanks, Dad. <laughs> and then I read two other books that, um, or three other books. Uh, I read a lot of books this last year, all true crime. I got on, I went down a rabbit hole. There were two books called <laughs> The Lost Girls, and there's one called Lost and Found. They're both by John Glatt, and they are stories of Amanda Berry, Gina Hazy, De Jesus, and J.C. Lee Dugard, but they're told in third person, and I actually realized I hate reading stuff in third person, especially when it's such a personal account of something. The Kevin agrees. Yeah. And then the one, another one I didn't particularly like very much is Elizabeth Smart. We can talk about her later. I didn't like her. I didn't like her memoir called My Story. So I feel bad. I wanted to like it. I did not. So there. There you go. Is that and all? And then I have books I plan on reading in 2020, but I'll, I'll, cover, I'll cover that next time. Yeah. You can <laughs> check that out at our Facebook group. It's yeah. called uh, com. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. That took 20 minutes to get through all that stuff. We can cut some of that. All right, so tell us about Richard Gere. <laughs> hey, and this was also my idea, so I didn't know you were going to steal this one. Oh, well. So go for it. <laughs> mind if I butt in? <laughs> didn't. Yeah. All right. So, so these are criminal myths, correct? 
these are um, like myths, things that we've heard about that we wanted to look a little further into and see if there's any truth or validity to them. Right. Okay. And so the rumor was that I just Richard Gere puts gerbils up his so, butt for sexual pleasure. Well, way to let the gerbil out of the bag. Well, I mean, that's the myth, right? That is the yes. Okay. So. Lindsay was actually inquiring. She really wanted to know more about this oh. uh, on the on the group. I know. She was dying to know. So, of course, you've heard the rumor. Um, it's one of the most enduring of all time. Uh, <laughs> there are definitely going to be people who have not heard this rumor. There are better people than us. They might have been born yesterday, literally. <laughs> um, There's babies listening to our podcast. Yeah, one day olds. Disclaimer, don't have your one-day-old listen to this podcast. Yeah, time to grow up fast. <laughs> um, so usually rumors like this jump around from person to person. Like the there was one that, <laughs> I never heard this, but Prince had a rib surgically removed so he can suck oh, his own dick. Oh, I heard dick. that. You have? I'd heard that, yeah. And eventually, I, think, I guess this rumor became I think it was also there, about Marilyn Manson. And then I think also Gene Simmons. I think that was also a thing, No, that too. was his tongue. That was just so because his tongue was so long? Lick the pussy. Ew. These stories usually don't stick to one person like this one did. Richard Gere and the butt gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's, does this have any connection to the South Park, the... Well, they did this, okay. yeah, of course. Was it... You think about South Richard Park Gere? could think of something like this? Well, I'm just saying, was it specifically about Richard Gere? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, well, okay. Nate, I didn't. I I'm not I a big remember, South. I'm not a big South Park fan. Yeah, so. I don't remember the episode. Anyways, <laughs> so. <laughs> oh God. Snopes's definition of gerbling, or gerbil shooting, <sighs> is the act of placing or inserting a live gerbil or rodent inside one's rectum. For sexual pleasure, Ugh. it's often attributed to gay men, especially when this rumor came out. I don't know if there's any young people listening to this, but this episode might not be for you. Um, <laughs> so the story goes, Richard Gere is getting admitted to the emergency room at a Los Angeles hospital with a foreign object lodged in his ass. Some say he was alone. Some say he was with a friend, possibly Cindy Crawford. I think that was his love interest at the time. That's just who he was in a moot. Oh, wait. No. Oh, they were together. Okay. okay. Yeah. I was You're thinking, thinking Julia, of Julia Roberts. Roberts. This was a different one. She was like the apex babe back then. Yeah, yeah. So x-rays were taken, and it was determined that the foreign object was a gerbil. At this point, he's rushed into surgery where it took literally a team of doctors to remove the animal. Hmm. A lot of nurses and the like claim to have witnessed this firsthand. Some stories say the gerbil was shaved and declawed. Shut the fuck up. And others say it was <laughs> encased in a special plastic pouch. Uh, no. One story even says it was his own beloved pet, Tibet. Tibet, like the place. Tibet. No, not. Yes. Not. Tibet. <laughs> oh my god! I don't want to be married to you anymore. But the 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 version. But <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> so the the version I always heard when I was a kid was uh, that this little you critter. You were not a kid. I don't think I ever was actually. <laughs> yeah. um, but this little guy was stuck inside a condom and then jammed up his bum. Um, I just I just accepted it as fact. 
I'm like, oh, Richard Gere, he's the guy that likes to put gerbils up his butt. That's just, yeah. What, yeah. No big deal. Yeah, no, I seriously thought it was like a normal thing because the way it was like kind of just thrown around. That's what rich guys do when they're dating total babes. That you just shove fucking rodents in your well, ass. Well, Hugh Grant. What about him? He's English, right? I'm just saying like when you're dating like the most beautiful woman in the world, you do weird things. Like he was dating, he was married to Elizabeth Hurley and he was caught with a transgendered Don't sex get worker. me going about English weirdos because okay. they're like Jimmy Seville and the royal family and okay, all those I, freaks. Okay, Hugh Grant is not involved with all those people. He was just, you know he just that. like cheated on like literally the most beautiful person in the world. Like Elizabeth Hurley. He had to Hurley. have that she dick. Anyways. Move on. Uh, when the surgery was finished, the medical team was sworn to secrecy because that happens. This well, I mean, it's doctor-patient confidentiality. I think that's like mental health. No. Not like... No, your medical records are sealed. They're just for you. Like, you have to fill out one of those... So um, if you took a ni knife out of my face, that's just between me and the doctors? Yeah. Hmm. If I wanted to get a hold of your medical records, I would have to have a... Whatever those right to view your file things on... A FOIA? No, it's not Freedom of Information Act. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what they're called now. But I've filled one out for a friend before so I could get his medical records. Creep. Okay, let's creepy. go. Let's go. Anyways, um, this whole thing came out when <laughs> Gear was at the height of his career. Pretty Woman had just come out. The movie was huge. He had a pretty high-profile relationship with Cindy Crawford. Once again, had to bring that up. This rumor took off. It was everywhere. Comedians like Sam Kinison were brutal. Uh, they, oh, he had a... Oh, he, okay. Yeah, he had a lot of stuff. Um, he had a lot of stuff up his butt. <laughs> I don't know. That's a different episode. Yeah. Anyways, um, the gear butt gerbil thing was cemented in pop culture, being referenced in many TV shows and... Uh, movies and this, that kind of stuff. Um, Gear was always quiet about it, which I think helped make it take off. Yeah, he like refused to like address it. Yeah, I think saying anything would have maybe made it worse though. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so years later, G uh, Gear finally does address the rumor in an interview. He said, "Quote: I stopped reading the press a long time ago. Lots of crazy things came up about me at first, especially from tabloids." There's this infamous gear stuck a hamster up his bum urban myth. I expect that sort of thing from tabloids, but when reputable magazines start making up stories claiming I was in a country I'd never been to with a person I'd never met, I decided not to pay attention to it. It's a waste of energy, unquote. So, where'd the rumor start? An anonymous practical joker faxed a phony press release throughout the Hollywood community from the Association for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, threatening gear would have hell to pay for abusing said gerbil. Phony faxes, I guess, were a thing back then. But they're not now. Who the fuck <laughs> faxes now, I know. No, I just meant, like, fake news. Totally not a thing today. Oh. Um, who is the practical joker? Many believe it was probably Sylvester Stallone. I heard some crazy things about him, too, but yeah. We're going to have to ask Brandon about this one. <laughs> um, apparently, Stallone fired Gear from one of their earliest films, a comedy called The Lords of Flatbush from 1974. Hmm. Stallone says they didn't get along at all and that, quote, Richard was given his walking papers 
and to this day seriously dislikes me, unquote. Is Stallone a practical joker, though? Oh, yeah. Is he? He looks like it. Yeah, well, he kind of does, but... But, yeah, it seems like he might not go through the trouble of sending all those faxes. I mean, I'm not sure what I mean, that he involves, may have, like, but... mentioned something to, like, his assistant, and then his yeah. assistant did... I doubt he does much work other than being himself. Yeah, shooting steroids and being awesome. So, more about gerbling. Really? Do we need more? Oh, hell yeah. You can't get enough. <laughs> Most people think gerbling isn't real, but... M. Jenny Edwards, an attorney specializing in criminal law and sexual offenses relating to bestiality, zoophilia, and zoosexuality, says, quote, it's real. (laughs) 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 She says, while it's called gerbiling, the actual name for it from a medical or mental health point of view is formicophilia. Yeah. Which involves not just gerbils, but other kinds of small animals as well. Oh, I know, so cute. No! It's a form of bestiality, which essentially deals with things crawling on you or in you. Ew. One case she dealt with was from was with a man that would go to Thailand, rent young girls, and insert roaches <gasps> into them. Wait, what? Yeah. She also says eels are pretty popular, both by men to insert into their anuses and occasionally women into their vaginas. But more often women use small fish like goldfish because they're more mature. And they have short memories, so they don't have to remember the abuse. Women? (laughs) Shut up. Edwards has never personally dealt with a dribble case, but wouldn't be surprised if it occurs. She says it's hard to say. Some find pleasure in pain. She adds that sometimes this thing stems from men who are used to being penetrated by dogs. Oh, gross. I can't... You went in a weird direction with this. I'm just going where the trail took me. Yeah, I should have covered this one. Don't kill the messenger. (laughs) Uh, She explains they're used to things like mastiffs who have large penises. And when you're used to having that sort of thing inside you, it's harder to get excited by a regular guy's old dick. And because of that, they graduate to things like mice and perhaps even gerbils. And that was a quote (sighs) from this lady. So not your words. I would never say old guy's dick. Really? You have more? Okay. Well, why gerbils? Okay, 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 all right. You were getting on me about books, and you have pages (laughs) on gerbiling. We're going deep. (laughs) Into <laughs> gerbiling. <laughs> this so, might have to be a two-parter, unfortunately. Why gerbils? <laughs> I don't know. Ger- <laughs> well, because gerbils love tunneling. <sighs> They'll dig and burrow for hours on end. But I can guarantee that a gerbil won't want to tunnel into anyone's asshole. That's a quote according to gerbil breeder <laughs> Melissa Fativa of New York Darling Gerbils. <laughs> 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 oh, I feel sick. So, according to Jan Harold Brunard, Bernard, whatever, <laughs> uh, uh, that's the author of the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, which I'd never seen. Uh, the story began in 84 with a gay man being admitted to the hospital with a mouse in his ass. And this is a true story, and this is where the whole thing stems from. But this gay guy turned into Richard Gere, and the mouse turned into a gerbil, and blah, blah, blah. There you go. There you get the story. 
Uh, but the, actually, the this story was first pinned on an unnamed Cleveland Browns linebacker. No pun there. It also got pinned on a Philly newscaster, Jerry Panicoli, and also weatherman Rick Segal, before finally landing and sticking to Richard Gere. So there's a joke. Two gerbils in a pet shop are talking, and one says to the other, if Richard Gere comes in, I'll tell him you're a hamster. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, so sources, uh, MTV.com, Mel. R- real credible source there. Magazine.com. This is all real shit. Li- Liveabout.com, The Village Voice, Dish Nation, and Snopes. And Snopes says this rumor is false. So there you go. All right. That is Richard Gere and the ass gerbil. I don't even want to do mine anymore because I just feel dirty. Because <laughs> now we're going from gerbils to guinea pigs. All right. So the, I, I don't know if people consider it a myth or a legend or what, but I'm here to say that it is, unlike Kevin's, it is true. Uh, Charlie Sheen did call law enforcement on something called the guinea pig films. So this is like a, a 90s thing as well. I think, did that come out in the 90s? Or like I late 80s? So. Yeah. Yeah, one of the two. Okay. For those of you who don't know, in 1991, Charlie Sheen became convinced that a film called uh, The Flower of Flesh and Blood, which is a 1985 Japanese horror movie, he became convinced that it was a snuff film and reported it to the M... I-A-A, which I didn't actually... I've never heard of that. Yeah, I actually didn't look it up, but oh well, so you can. And and then, you know, they they reported it to the FBI. The plot consists... Uh, It's a good plot. It's, well, and we'll talk about the simplicity... Try to keep up. we'll, we'll, We'll talk about the simplicity of the plot and why. So the plot consists of a florist killing ladies to use their dismembered body parts for floral arrangements. Sounds really ridiculous. The Bureau dropped the investigation after the movie's producer demonstrated the special effects. The only other, I, I feel like, um, movie that even came close to, like, this kind of, you know, urban mythage um, or mythology, <laughs> mythage is not a word, uh, was the Cannibal Holocaust film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. uh, again, kind of similar to this guy's movie, Hideshi, Hideshi Hino. It starts off with a disclaimer like that this is like found footage, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, Charlie Sheen, who probably was on a ton of drugs. Wasn't this one the one where it's just the samurai guy ties up the girl to the bed and dismembers her? I think that this one's actually different. Okay. I think that they're all fairly similar. Because movies... I thought that's what this one was. Yeah, I mean. I was watching it one time on Christmas Eve when my sister came to pick me up to take me to. Yeah, and I have it somewhere. She still thinks I'm disturbed. Yeah. Well, how long did you spend talking about gerbils? Okay. Um, (laughs) Not long enough. So Hideshi Hino wanted to create a story-driven film. This is the the guinea pig film, Flower of Flesh and Blood. Um, But the producers say they didn't have the budget for what he wanted. And he was actually a fairly celebrated, or is a fairly celebrated manga author, so he really wanted a storyline, but because of the lack of a budget, they said they wanted him to limit the shooting to one location with minimal cutting. 
<laughs> Literally. Yeah. At the time, this was there was a huge hype about urban legend snuff films in Japan. Um, so he decided to make that the theme of his work. Um, he made up the story about a crazed fan sending him a roll of eight millimeter film that turned out to be a snuff film. He wanted to completely omit any kind of moral theme or anything else that would reveal the main character's feelings. So it was kind of supposed to be like this pointless snuff film to make people feel uncomfortable because he didn't have a huge budget. Had he had a budget, I think he would have had a plot. And then um, we did watch Mermaid in a Manhole, right? (laughs) Which Uh, apparently that one was going to be made into like a professional full-length film. It was going to be on Broadway. (laughs) But, like, I think that, you know, this whole, like, Charlie Sheen investigation looking really into stuff. He really a wrench in the gear. Yeah. He actually, like, teaches at, like, a university in Japan, though. He's, like, a fairly celebrated Charlie author. Charlie Sheen does? You know who I'm talking about, oh, Kevin. Sorry. I, well, so when Hino heard about the film being reported by Charlie Sheen, he asked, like, the American media about it. <laughs> And uh, they said, they have already taken action was the reply. So I said, let me meet those FBI fellows. I love them in the movies. And they took that as a joke and laughed. One of the reasons that there may have been some more, like, validity or, like, the timing of it kind of, like, you know, somewhat kind of ruined Hino's um, reputation was something called the Ayako-chan incident. And this one is a fairly famous Japanese case that I'd like to cover And it's the guy's name is Tsutomu Miyazaki, also known as the otaku murderer or the little girl murderer, which was um, he was a Japanese serial killer, cannibal, child rapist and necrophile who abducted and murdered four teenage or four young girls. He sexually molested their corpses in the Saitama and Tokyo prefectures between August of 1988 and June of 1989. His crimes included not only kidnapping, murder, and necrophilia, but also vampirism and the preservation of body parts as trophies. So the reason I bring up the uh, the Ayako-chan incident uh, with that creepy dude, the otaku murderer guy. And otaku, if you don't know, it means someone who's like kind of obsessed with manga and like anime, like to an unhealthy degree or like an obsession with like anything like nerdy. And so audiences thought that the killer may have watched and then imitated the guinea pig film, The Flower of Flesh and Blood. And a lot of people, they notified the Fukugawa police because they were like, there's too many similarities. Like, we think that this Hino guy's film inspired a terrible murderer. And so when they were looking through the house of the terrible murderer, they actually found a guinea pig film. And so... This kind of just started to reaffirm, like, that Hino had actually inspired this guy to, you know, do these crimes. Um, and then they realized that it was actually the Guinea Pig 4 film, which has nothing to do with Hino at all because he only did the second film. Guinea Pig 4 was something completely different. And he tried to, and he told the police of this, and the police was like, they were just like, get the fuck out of our faces. You're, we've seen your film. It's terrible. You're a bad person. And you got all this free publicity from being connected to this horrible child murderer. And uh, the truth of the matter was he was contracted to do this. Like, he actually didn't get any, like, direct sales. It was a one-time deal, you know? Like, he was Mm. just hired at a fee, and then that was it. He's never seen any royalties since then. So anyways, a line from one of the police officers to Hino was, uh, Personally, I find porn more valuable than your film. 
<laughs> so um, that's a good review. Yeah. So that's kind of like there's a lot of like convolutedness with it. But yes, Charlie Sheen did notify authorities that he thought this was a snuff film. <laughs> and it, in fact, it's not a snuff film. And in fact, Charlie Sheen was on a whole lot of drugs. But those films are very disturbing. So I don't necessarily blame him for wanting to contact yep. authorities. But also, like, what was he doing watching it? Do you really want to know? Well, I mean... Probably cocaine. <laughs> All right, so you got another one for us, right? All right, well, there's a little theme here. So this one... Oh, you have all the animals. If you are a member of the group on Facebook, True Crime Dumpster, you might have seen where we're going. We're going to go to SeaWorld. We're going down to SeaWorld. Uh, all right. Do dolphins rape? Well, technically, no. Of course not. I'm pretty what? sure. Of okay. Well, they don't have a concept of consent. Mm. I don't think. I mean. That's. What? Controversial. I don't know. We don't know if they have a, you know, have you gotten into a dolphin's consciousness? You know what they Not have? lately. No. Okay. But they do have a brutal way of getting it on. Dolphins are smart, complex creatures with a complex social system. And Japanese eat them. <laughs> you should watch way the to, cove. <laughs> way to take it down. Yeah, I'm sorry. Two or three male dolphins will form a gang that swim and hunt together called a first order. Sometimes two pairs of first orders will team up and form a second order alliance. When breeding season comes around, there's fierce competition for access to females, uh, which is very common in many species. Right, fellas? No. <laughs> uh, first order gangs will single out a female, rush her and try to herd her away from the group to have sex. Aww. During this aggressive corralling, the female tries to escape, but only about one out of four do. The males prevent her escape by charging in, bashing her with their tails, headbutting, biting, and body slamming in, uh, her into submission. Okay. Second order gangs do the same, uh, but they consist of five to six males. The males are often closely related, so trans their genes can be achieved without all the dolphins getting a piece of the pie, if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> uh, so you're saying that they all, like, it's like a gang rape? They, I guess they Take turns? run interference while one of them. Oh, okay. That's what I'm getting out of okay, this. Okay, all right, all right. So sometimes multiple second order groups will form a super alliance to corral a female. Sexual coercion is part of the dolphin's game, or reproductive strategy, if you will. I won't. It is in many species, and it's violent. We should be careful not to anthropomorphize their behavior, whether it be cute, smart, or horrid. So, can a dolphin rape a human? Technically, yes. Oh. Dolphin junk is compatible with human she-junk, as in, a dolphin dick isn't shaped like a crazy straw. <laughs> There's vids of uh, randy dolphins suggestively humping on women. Wow. There's a popular one of a dolphin with a rager 
aggressively oh. sniffing the crotch of a female diver while another diver tries to fend it off. I've actually seen that one. Oh, it's my pre- God. Pretty funny. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not funny. But nothing happens, right? No. Okay. Uh, in 2002, authorities warned swimmers at the Weymouth Harbor uh, in England about the predations of George the dolphin. <laughs> a dolphin trainer said there that this dolphin does get very sexually aggressive and has attempted to mate with several swimmers. Oh my gosh. Lab, oh, this is a different story. Lab assistant Margaret Howe described a dolphin rubbing itself on her legs and hands while she was doing research on dolphin communication in 1963. I think it was trying to communicate with you. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, this guy, this fucking guy. And then we have fucking Malcolm Brenner, who claims to have had a month-long affair with a dolphin oh named God. Dolly. <laughs> no. Brenner. Did who, he want? Check. Just wait. Okay. Wait. <laughs> wait for it. Brenner who also admitted to having a sexual relation with a dog, Ugh. said the affair was Dolly's idea. <laughs> no, I feel sick. <laughs> a press account of the story said the two had interspecies intercourse. That was a quote. Thanks, Kevin. Sounds like Malcolm raped a dolphin for a month to me. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's what happened. <laughs> Brenner believes that Dolly, after being moved to another water park, became so distraught she committed suicide. <sighs> oh, Dolly. He had so much to live for. Dolphins aren't the only ones to gang up on their okay, perspective. We, we don't need to get into this too much. Oh, yes, we do. No, no, no. Our friend Jessica reminded us of ducks being sexual sadists. They gang rape a female, and only the duck with, quote, the golden duck dick, as Jessica so eloquently put it, can get her done. While we were hiking a couple days ago, she regaled stories of the multiple vaginal canals of the duck. But from the research I've put into this, I've found that they actually can manipulate their vaginas, only letting the one with the golden dick in. It's like that Swedish vampire movie. <laughs> oh, let the right one in? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's some serious duck kegel action because if you've seen a duck dick, oh my God, I hate this episode, something I can't unsee now. Thank you, Jessica. You know what I'm talking about. It's pretty fucked up. Um, I've got a honorable mention. Otters are also little bastards. They kill other animals, not even to eat just for fun. I found an account of a male otter that attacked a baby seal, Aww. raped it for an hour oh, and a half no. till it died, no. and then began grooming itself like no. nothing happened. It's a furry little sociopath. Yeah. All right. So I'm glad I'm ending this because I can't deal with any more animal stuff. This is not animal stuff, and but it is an um, unsolved. And our friend, Mr. Pove, from England, he brought it up, and it actually was going to be the basis of our first episode, but there wasn't a ton about it because it's, that's one of the reasons unsolved cases are hard to do is because we don't have all the information we need. So, who put Bella down the witch elm? 
I got most of my information from an article called uh, from Crime Reads. So at dusk on April 18, 1943, among the German Luftwaffe's bombing raids, four teenage boys named Bob Hart, Tom Willits, Fred Payne, and Bob Farmer trespassed in Hagley Woods in Birmingham, England, which were situated on the grounds of the Hagley Hall Estate, which belonged to Lord Cobham. Cobham? They brought along their dogs and were poaching on the estate, hoping to bag a rabbit or two to supplement the family's meager meat rations during the war. Bob Farmer spotted a witch elm tree and climbed down it to peek into or up it and then down it to peek down the hollow trunk. A glimmer of white convinced him that he had hit the jackpot. I think he was looking for a bird nest. I think he thought it was an egg. However, the object lodged in the middle of the tree was not a bird's nest. Bob pulled it out and found himself staring at a skull. Could you imagine? Score. Whose empty eye sockets seemed to stare right back at him. At first, he thought that the skull was an animal until he noticed clumps of human hair and crooked teeth protruding from the mouth, <laughs> uh, like looking at him. Creepy. Yeah, so he dropped the skull deck down the witch elm, and the boys fled the woods, promising each other to never tell a soul about what they found. Like, stand by me. Yes, and they also really feared getting in trouble. However, Tom Willits told his parents because he couldn't handle it, and they alerted police. I mean, they found a dead body, basically. I mean, they thought it was just a skull. So they went, the so when the... Police went to go find it. They realized that it wasn't just a skull, but in fact, it was an entire human being, like a full body. The only thing that was missing was the hand, but then they eventually found it scattered around the tree. They also found a cheap imitation gold ring, um, size five and a half. Very specific shoes were found a very short distance away from the body. Scraps of poor quality clothing hung from the bones and a piece of taffeta, like um, like ballerina tutu material, was stuffed down the mouth, indicating that the victim had suffocated. The medical examiner, James Webster, concluded that the woman was around 35 years old, had irregular teeth, I'm 35, that's why I said it like that, had irregular teeth in her upper jaw, light brown hair, and was just five feet tall. He also determined that the woman had given birth in her lifetime and estimated that she had been dead for around 18 months. The professor made certain that the death of this unknown woman was, in fact, murder, stating, quote, I cannot imagine a woman accidentally slipping in there. Neither do I think it reasonable for a woman to crawl into that place to commit suicide. He also concluded that the woman had been placed inside the hollow trunk before rigor mortis, which is the stiffening of the muscles following death. Otherwise, the body would have been too stiff to put inside the narrow tree trunk. He also maintained that the victim would most likely have been killed close to the spot where she was found. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had a way to transport her body to the tree before rigor mortis. Mm -hmm. It was an excellent place for the concealment of a murder, and I think it indicates local knowledge, said the medical examiner. I can agree with that. Yeah. Following the discovery of the witch elm, Worcestershire police... Worcestershire, 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 police contacted every dentist in the area because of the very distinctive protruding teeth. 
and they went through missing persons report to see if any of them matched the description of the deceased. Because, I mean, if she had, like, a wedding-ish ring on the wedding finger and she had given birth, those are at least two people that might care about where this woman was, right? Mm. So nothing ever came of it. Okay, so then this is where kind of like the the mythology kind of comes from. The first message was written in chalk on the side of a house in nearby Old Hill, which read, Who put Lubella down the witch elm? This was the first time a name had been attributed to the deceased woman. Then the graffiti artist started putting things other places, like who put Bella in the witch elm? So... This woman has kind of famously been named Bella, even though there's no grounds for her name being Bella. Okay, so it's never, it's not confirmed. No, it's not confirmed. And, but like, there are people who think that it is, be, and that's where the kind of the mythology comes from. That the graffiti artist was never found. And even to this day, I believe, like, people still write that in places around town, you know? It's just like become this thing. It's a creepy tag. Yeah. So, was this a clue or was it a taunt? And it it does seem after doing my research, that's probably a taunt. Um, the mysterious messages and the lack of identification of the woman made for a lot of wild theories, none of which have been tr- proven true. So some of the theories are Bella could have been the victim of black magic, some kind of black magic ritual. And there's a lot on this and it doesn't seem true. So okay. that was one theory. Another is that she was the member. I like this one the best, but. It's already been disproven that she was a member of aspiring seeking information about the location of local munitions factories that could be targeted by the Luftwaffe. And then kind of fall, like piggybacking on that theory is that this spy was drinking in a local pub when she became drunk and passed out. And then two Royal Army pilots placed the woman in the tree to teach her a lesson. And she she died there because she couldn't get out. I don't think it. I mean, you have I, to be I a like a pretty those. shitty spy to be passing out at a bar. Yeah. Well, people can't hold their drinks. Another one was that a, I like this one became this one was disproven quickly because of the height. A German spy named Joseph Jacobs, probably Joseph Jacobs, <laughs> uh, was captured after breaking his ankle while parachuting in Cambridgeshire, Cambridgeshire in 1941. After his arrest, a creased photograph of the glamorous German actress and cabaret singer Clara Bauerle uh, was found. And Bau is German for tree. Oh, <gasps> dun, 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 shit. Dun, I think, right? I think so. Uh, it was found in his pocket. Jacobs told interrogators that she was his lover and that the Third Reich had recruited her as a spy. According to Jacobs, Bowerly had parachuted into the West Midlands in 1941 and disappeared. But again, like I said, this has been disproven because I believe that actress was like six feet tall. And this woman in the tree was like five feet tall. Right. So that was kind of. And I think that a lot of the, like a lot of them would stick for years and then unstick because they'd be, you know, clearly proven. Then there was stuff about gypsies uh, that like. This was a place where gypsies used to stay and maybe one of them tried to get inside of there for shelter or something and died in there. But again, um, a lot of this myth and the mythology around quote unquote Bella has kind of continued because of the graffiti. But in fact, she's just a unfortunately unidentified woman who perished in the tree trunk or perished before being put in the tree trunk. So it's just it's sort of sad, but it's also like super creepy. 
And you can actually, we'll post pictures on our Facebook group of um, um, the chalk, the chalk graffiti. All right. So anything else you wanted to add? It's kind of like the human form of gerbiling. No, stop it. <laughs> the tree is putting a human in its butt. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> That's all I had to add. Okay. <laughs> so you can join our Facebook group to tell us that we're terrible people, <laughs> which we are this week. I'm sorry. But, you know, it's the new year. This is the lighthearted one. Yeah. Don't worry. It gets way worse. No. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> Um, join our Facebook group, True Crime Dumpster, where we post weekly and discuss the crimes and other related things. Um, you can also suggest crimes on there. But like I said, I'm like, I probably won't need any crimes for another 70 episodes or so. But I, you know, I can be, de- I can be convinced otherwise. We can move some stuff around. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, which is TC Dumpster, like True Crime Dumpster. And on Instagram, you can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. And we are currently making our website better, truecrimedumpster.com. We're trying, okay? Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and now Spotify. So that's four different, I know, now I'm going to try Google Play, but that seems to be a lot harder. So uh, like we've said before, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about your po- our podcast or your podcast. Well, yeah, it is yours. Yeah. We can be podcast buddies. So we appreciate the sport. Because it would be nice if this was Kevin's full-time job. (laughs) Because then maybe the research would get better. I can go deeper into dolphin rape. and deeper. And gerbiling and other animal animal play. Just give some suggestions on your favorite animal play. Ew, Kevin, that's disgusting. No, don't (laughs) ignore him completely. Please do. All the time. (laughs) So that's it. This week for our somewhat lighthearted episode on criminal myths. So thanks for the suggestions and thanks for the support. We love you. You're welcome. Bye bye. <laughs> and thanks for the memories.